Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast here in uh, mid-August, hurtling towards deer season at breakneck speed. We got Mr. Johnny Stewart on the podcast. Johnny, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. I got me a beer, so uh, I'm doing well. 
<laughs> talking deer, drinking. I can't complain. Yeah, I heard that. We got the ginger bow hunter here, as always. As always. Sporting a Bud Light, which he was just trash talking a minute ago. Yeah, not not the sponsorship I'd be looking for. Where's that? Any Coors Light? If anybody works for Coors Light, we'd love to get sponsored by you. But anyways, yep. we got the old Killer Dilla. What up? Michael Pikester. <laughs> Michael Pike. <laughs> awesome. Well, Johnny, hey, we're excited to have this conversation with you this week. Uh, you know, you, you've been on quite a few different podcasts, probably have a lot of listeners that are familiar with you because they've heard you on other shows. But one thing very uh, special about you is just your overall amount of experience when it comes to targeting mature bucks across the country. Um, now, one thing about you, which for a lot of our listeners who may be from, of course, the southeast, you know, you do a lot of your hunting kind of in the northeast and the midwest and everything else like that. But the principle is still the same when it comes to targeting mature bucks because you got to find them. You can't hunt them if you can't find them, okay? And that's, that's a huge factor. But one thing I want to kind of kick us off with is we always interview all these people who are just very successful, killing big mature bucks across the country, but we never really hear of the failures and everything kind of getting to that point of what they've learned as of today because I'm sure you 10 years ago, 20 years ago was totally different from what you're doing today in your approach, and you've learned a lot throughout those years. So I'd like to kind of kick us off for us. Can you talk a little bit about, first off, when did you start trying to target mature bucks from just your average deer? Um, and what was some of those quick learning tips that you learned very early on that, hey, if I'm going to target a mature buck, I've got to do X, Y, Z. And that's going to be a really good principle for what we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah, guys. Well, thanks for having me on. And um, I do want to warn you, I'll start talking, going one one direction. And then I think about all the different places I've been and all the experience I have. And sometimes I even forget what I'm talking about just to warn you. So, but anyways, um, so yeah, I'm from, um, near Pittsburgh, PA, Southwest Pennsylvania. Um, and I'll just give you a brief summary of, um, you know, I hunting back when I was younger, I'm 42 now, but, um, you know, just like most people started out small game, um, then, dabbling in deer hunting when it was rifle season here in Pennsylvania. Um, then probably around uh, 14, 15 years old, I started uh, bow hunting, picked up a bow and my buddy had one and he let me borrow it. And I love shooting. And um, I just had, uh, we had land to hunt around us. Some old, like in this area that I grew up was like old dairy farms, maybe um, just some coal mine property and nothing really like nothing back then was bandaged. It was just kind of everybody in town hunted, you know, the, the local grounds. And, um, as far as deer, they were probably yearlings, two year olds. Um, I think maybe a two year old was a big animal because there was some, so much hunting pressure and nobody really hunted mature deer. Um, but yeah, that, so that's where I started. Um, and probably, my first deer that I killed with a bow was probably around 17. I know it took me, um, like I said, I started shooting at 14. So it took me three years to kill a buck. And I never thought I was ever going to get a deer. I had so many issues that kept putting me down and making me believe that it was never going to happen. Um, and that's one thing. Um, confidence is a big thing. Um, but experience is, to me that you've done the wrong things enough that you know now what is the right thing to do. So I have a lot of experience. I remember just sitting on the ground when I had to, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, just everything you could think of happened to me as well as everybody else. But I learned from them mistakes. Um, it's a growing process. Um, so I finally did arrow deer when I was 17, you know, um, and then I gave me a big confidence boost 
So one thing important is to get some kills under your belt. I don't think it's wise to just say, start, pick up a bow and be hunting mature whitetails because you probably, you're not going to have a lot of success in general. It might take you a while. It's a lot of hard work, but um, just to be confident in killing deer. And there are years that I've had to where I had that again when I was 14 where I never thought, you know, or where I had the feeling that um, just everything was going wrong in the woods, maybe missing a deer. I remember one year I, I had missed four or five buck hitting limbs, hit them on the knee, you know, just, and I had that same, it brought me back to when I was 15, 16. And I just had that same, it just changed my mind set to where I felt like I'm never going to get a deer. And I actually lucked out that year. It was like end of January and I shot a big buck. And even up to that point that I killed that deer, it was like, I still wasn't believing that I was going to kill that, a deer that year. I was so discouraged because all the issues that I had, so one important thing is to um, shoot some animals, um, get your confidence up, doe, small bucks, don't just jump into it. But um, so going back to myself, um, so I killed my first deer with a bow, probably 17, first buck, and then uh, gave me a big confidence boost and I started shooting a few more and it just, I had some optimism and confidence and I think uh, about 21, 22, there was a local deer that everybody knew about. Uh, it was a 150-inch deer, which was rare. And I ended up um, harvesting that deer in October. And um, what I did was just um, followed that deer, um, did a lot of scouting, finding his rubs and sign, and learning him as the individual, um, not just the overall deer population. Um, so I killed that deer, and, and people said, oh, you got lucky, you'll never kill another deer. Then maybe a year later, I killed another good one in the area. Um, the people were like, wow, that, them are big deer. So anyways, um, that was that. Then I kind of was in, in around that era. I was reading everything I could maybe about whitetails, and it really took me the wrong direction because, like, even now when I do podcasts, I try to tell people to watch what you're – where you're learning from, who you're learning from, does it, um, does it like associate, or is it um, like where you hunt? Is the person you're learning from or a magazine article, who's writing this, where, they, where do they hunt? Does it relate to where you're hunting, where you're living? Um, so yeah, I did um, learn backwards, I wanna say, when I used to read magazine articles and, and stuff like that, I used to write read everything I could about deer hunting and um, it didn't pertain to the deer that I hunted. They were really pressured animals and um, the area I hunted. Um, so it, I went backwards and then probably in my twenties, there was when I just decided to learn from the animal itself. So like everything that I've learned in the last, you know, 20, you know, I've been hunting since I was 12, 14, but uh, in the last 20 years, it was just knowledge that I gained from, gained from the individual animal that I hunted. I, I would, you know, still now and then read stories, success stories of people. But as far as how-to articles, um, it you could take something away from it, but don't believe that that's how um, your area is, and that's how you need to hunt. There are so many variables, so many situations, so much, so much different habitat. They thrive all over the country, different regions. Pressures different. Or just um, you can maybe take take a little pieces from anything you read, but don't count it as black and white. Um, and I'll talk a lot about like knowing what's going on. And I think when I was younger, even into my twenties, I was still like 
not sure of myself and, and I in the back of my head the magazine articles rubs and scrapes and you know trails and sometimes that's not always the best place to hunt for a mature animal but um, I would kind of hope uh, for a deer to come my way like pray to the deer gods hey I hope a deer comes and I think I learned over the years that all that hoping and that didn't bring me success it was knowing what is going on in in your area um and it's and, and if you want to be hunt mature deer like a lot of i i kind of talk to more people that are average hunters and are going to that next level level hunting mature deer so sometimes i'm speaking about to people about hunting mature deer and some of these people are just you know learning about hunting so maybe it's things that, that you know we talked about jacob that people don't even like are i'm losing them a little a little bit um but um yeah know know what's going on because because hoping for anything in life just isn't to me is not acceptable you know 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 what's going on out yeah so johnny there's a there's a lot that you just uh, talked about that one to touch on like talking about confidence talking about outside media like where you're taking your uh information in from uh that was a huge factor for me growing up of like just reading a lot of magazines that had nothing to do with the region of country i hunted in and there was no like i remember looking at i think it might have been pearson's bow hunting magazine and uh looking at they were talking about like hunting fence rows and like where I hunted was timber company. There was there was no ag. There's not even cattle farms where I was at. And it was like it was cool articles and like trying to hunt little um, pinch points in between two different wood blocks and then going down a fence row or something like that, and or inside corners. And that was just not something I was finding in the region of the country I was hunting in. What's up? With? Or hunting the rut at the end of October, the first of November. <laughs> that was like the biggest the biggest one for me uh, because the deer don't rut here a lot of times until December January. So. Uh, using those tactics or rattling, using your grunt call in, yeah. in the end of October. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you're like, you read through that, and you're sitting here in central Alabama, and you're like, okay, <clears throat> I need to find a fence row, and I need to hunt it <laughs> like, yeah. in, on Halloween. Yeah. Right. But, Johnny, also you talked about confidence and not work, not hoping you're going to see that buck, but learning and understanding where you need to be and have the confidence when you go in. Not only are you going to put yourself in the right position to hopefully have an opportunity at that deer or at a good buck, um, but also make sure you have confidence in your setup, your shot, everything. Just, you know, overall confidence as a hunter. And I think yo, young bow hunters, not even just young in age, but just young young in experience is a huge struggle. I still struggle with that myself personally and have screwed up on a lot of really nice bucks because I could not keep it under pressure and make myself execute that shot when I was presented that shot at, you know, 25 yards of a really nice buck. Um, and I find that very common with a lot of people. I want to ask you as we kind of progress through this, because we're going to come back to like some of that confidence and even some of the outside media and stuff. But when you got into your 20s and you started having success, what were you having success doing then? And then how did you continue to build on that as a hunter throughout your, your 20s going into your 30s? Um, I thought about it today. There was not any one instance. It was just getting more intimate with the area I was hunting. And knowing all that you could, you'll find me saying the word knowing, no, 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 what's happening um, and spend as much time out there um, and never giving up, have like a good work ethic, um, do whatever it takes um, and keep like you talked about earlier, asking yourself questions till you get to the point where you have some knowledge and you have an idea of where these animals are. And I think a lot of the areas that I hunted had so many average size deer yearlings two-year-olds that that was the um that i would find 
I would see that so often that was the norm and that was the normal sign you would find and then you would see something different like a big bed out of the ordinary a big track you know and like going into fall you know summer you know um some larger scat from the deer clumps to where it was a large larger sized deer to where your does and yearlings there was such a young age group that i could start seeing oh and then where i would see this sign and how they lived and what was their surrounding the veget just took into consideration when you see that what's what's going on around her why is he living there um so that's a big thing is to um be in be out there know what's going on and um like i said see see what's different and that i think that's where i started heading um i would get like a sense and i would feel the same thing that deer was like in different situations where i would see the normal deer population which i'm sure probably for you guys could maybe take something like you're probably most of your population on a public ground and it is a younger age class and then you would because he and that mature deer is there he's like a satellite and he moves through there but he does leave sign you know like we talked about there's no snow down there but find the bigger beds the sign uh, and it may be in the summer you know the off times not in not so much you don't want to be there's different times where you want to be going through their core area, maybe where they're bedding, but maybe getting a hunting season, you don't want to, but, but know that they're, you know, get intel, know that there, this was before cameras or were around, you know, I would just see the difference. And then I would keep putting tools in my toolbox, like little tidbits and it would all come together and form a big picture, how these mature animals were different than the, the rest of the population and, and what kind of areas they like to like to be in and stuff. It's hard, it's hard to explain. It's more of a feeling that I got just from being out there so much and, and, and working hard, like nothing in life is you're going to have to work hard if you want something bad enough. You know what I mean? If you want a mature deer, you're going to have to work at it. There's nothing that you're going to, you're not going to listen to a couple podcasts and go out and shoot a big buck. Okay. So that's the biggest thing is, um, Put, put your time in, work hard, ask a lot of questions, and, and you know, you'll eventually, you know, be confident and you'll eventually have success. But like I said, it's not like in life, nothing, there's no magic pill for everything. I don't believe it, you know. So you're going to have to put the time in and work hard. Get, and I think the biggest thing, even before cameras and cyber scouting or whatever, is just boots on the ground, you know. And I if I threw all my cameras away right now, I could still kill mature deer just because I've done that. As much time, spend as much time as you can out there. And then, like I said, ask yourself a ton of questions. Why? Why is this deer here? And, and walk and learn and, and, and know everything you can, you know? Deer season is almost here. So if you haven't went and checked out Hasmore Outdoor Products, I don't know what you're doing. Hasmore is the maker of the silent seat, which is an awesome little accessory that will replace the seat on your climber to make you more lightweight, mobile, and quiet. But that's not all they make. They've also got a whole bunch of other stuff for your tree stand to help you get ready for the season, whether it be a bow holder, stabilizer straps, or a tree stand packing system, which I know you climber guys are going to want. We'll go to Hasmore and check out what they got. Let's show them some support going into this deer season, guys. So head over to hasmore.net and use the promo code SO15 for 15% off. Cruiser Saddles is the newest addition to companies supporting this podcast. Cruiser is the maker of saddles and saddle hunting gear. 
Uh, me and Jacob actually met Chad, the owner, at our Bozen Brews event in March of 2020. We were demoing a lot of different saddles there from a lot of different companies, and he showed up with his products, which were brand new at the time, and everybody there was extremely impressed with them, including me and Jacob. We ended up getting some of his saddles for this past hunting season and used them all year from, basically, we started hunting in August and hunted until February. No complaints. Really liked him. The durability was there. The comfort was there. The wearability was there, you know, walking in and out to the stand. So we're very impressed. You can go back to some of the episodes from last year and actually hear us, you know, live through the season talking about these things. We talked about them a lot in the podcast from last year's season. Just really impressed. And we think you would like them too. So go to their website and check them out. We ran the XC. Orders ship the same day or next day unless otherwise indicated. And you get free shipping on orders over $300. We really appreciate Cruiser for supporting this show. You guys go show them some support as well. Hey, Johnny. Uh, one thing that I've noticed, um, and I think this was, I guess, one of the things that has contributed probably the, the biggest amount uh, to my success is um, I think a lot of people play it too safe. They're too afraid to uh, test things out, to get aggressive in certain situations, to they're too afraid of ruining hunts and, you know, blowing a deer out. But I think I found that all of those failures, you know, going in those certain situations and kind of learning in the process, sure, you might not get a deer, you know, during that hunt or maybe even during that season, but you're you're usually constantly learning something, you know, that you didn't know. Did you go any through anything like that? Like, it, is that like how you've learned is through those failures? yourself or you know how, how does that look for you yeah i think you're definitely right there mike i've uh i've probably like anybody sat in a tree endless hours on that hope mode and and i remember when we were younger and we would go to different states and we would get into the you know the timber and we would try to be quiet and not spook the animal and i don't want to go no further this is good and you'd sit there in, in a hunt four or five day hunt and, and you know you're in the wrong spot, you know, but you're so worried of bumping an animal to where, you know, maybe the last day or two you'd walk around and be like, oh, here's where I should have been. So, like, now I would do that right off the bat if I'm in a different state. Um, and it goes back to knowing more. And, and now, even the last few years, I think I'm, I'm not even – I haven't had many deer that I wanted to specifically hunt. Had some good ones here and there, but nothing to really key in on, like a good matured you know, large rack deer is what I'm looking for. You know, I had a lot of mature deer that I would follow and learn about. Always take something away from them. Then I started skipping that third, fourth day where I would get down and go look. I would um, first off start sneaking through the woods and knowing all that you can about that that area and and learning more about it. Because mainly, if it's if it's pub to me, how I look at it, if it's public land, if you're going, they know that they, they, these mature deer already know it's hunting season. You know, why not get, get and I, I sat in a tree a lot and wanted to know what's over the next ridge and that and, and or whatever. And, and if you're out there hunting, you're pretty well sent free, hopefully. And, and you you know, you, you could see at least 100 or so yards. And if you're not, see, you know, if it's the rut, you're not seeing nothing. There's probably a place where deer are moving. So, yeah, I try to, you know, get down and move around or, or have an, another spot, you know, picked out. Um, yeah, so I got away from, so I spent a lot of time in it in a tree not trying to screw up my hunt and stuff like that and then but i was unsuccessful so i try to learn as much if i as i can and then there's instances i i would just go through the whole 
piece of land, you know, walk fast. And if it's, a, you know, it depends, there's so many variables. If it's a certain time of year that um, some say there's a lot of pressure there, I would just walk through the woods fast and find out where the pressure is, you know, and then see where the deer sign is and compare it to the people, you know, because just like I talk about knowing the area, that mature deer that you're hunting knows his area. He don't take any chances. You want to kind of mimic how he is. Um, he knows where the does live. He knows everything intimately about that's where he lives. So I try to get get to his level to know what he knows. Put myself in his shoes. Where's the does bedding? What's the shortest route between them? You know, where are the hunters coming in? So these are the things. There's times I'll I'll go in the hunt maybe 8, 9 o'clock in the morning because I'll ride around and see where everybody's hunting. And sometimes it comes down to a point where, hey, these guys are here, the guys are here, well, I'm going to go over here. I've had good luck with that, just getting to the area where nobody's at. Cause, um, and it goes back to what Bill from Spartan Sports says. It's the same thing. I can really relate to Bill and all his data is, you know, this deer knows where the hunt pressure is, and he's there don't have to be a lot of sign um, where these animals are. They just know it's safe there. You know, it's it's – Really, it it comes down with me, what I've learned on public land is hunting, finding the hunting pressure and adjusting accordingly because that's what these animals, these mature animals do, you know. And that just, like I said, it goes back to knowing your land, how that animal that you're hunting knows his land, you know, know where the does are, know everything. And, and for me, I don't, most of my hunts are out of state or even PA. I got three-hour drive to where I hunt. And it takes me a few years sometimes to intimately know this area because it's not like I live here and I go out my back door every day and scout. I don't have that that option, you know, which would be great. So, and, and then nowadays, uh, like last year, I found a good deer I wanted to hunt, but I just found him in like November, and it's like, man, it's like I, I gotta. It's gonna take me a while to know this deer, know what's going on. So I'm still learning. Um, it's, the learning curve never ends, but it's it's it takes time to know that, that land, you know, and, and, and like I said, you being in the woods, hiking around, the deer already knows it's hunting season and people try to sneak in that. Sometimes I just walk and make noise, you know, when I feel like it's okay, you know, to be in that area, make noise and they're, they can calm down a little bit if they can, if there's some of their senses are working to their advantage, if they can hear you, see you, smell you, you're just hiking in your plain clothes. I do that a lot, you know, but I just let them know that, um, but it's different instances, you know, and what time of year it is. You might, you know, you might not want to go in his bedding area, you know, during October and do something like that then, you know, maybe more or less after the season and, and, and stuff like that. But I mean, so yeah, I mean, so, take a step. so when you're, uh, when you're going on these out of state trips to areas that you've never been to before, I'm sure over the years you've kind of picked up on this like six sense type feeling where you're just walking through the woods and you're like, okay, like this is it. If you have like what, what are some of those things? Do you think in your mind uh, that kind of leads you to those types of feelings? Like, uh, like when you know you're in the right area where a big mature buck is at. Is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, a lot of times when I'm um, out of state, it's it's I try to get to where nobody's out. That's my first starting point, or where nobody's been. Sometimes uh, I I do gravitate toward late season because there's not as many people in the deer adjust their movements accordingly if they know the deers if they know humans aren't are in the woods in november i've lotted bucks around my area i know the big mature deer sometimes are nocturnal nocturnal till the november 8th 10th they're not even 
that's who they are because they they want their survival is number one before breeding. But um, like if I go to a different state, I want to see where no one's at. I want to go to there. I want to put boots on the ground and see if I see bright eyes, if I see stands. I feel like the leaves are beat down from people walking. I look for boot tracks in the leaves. If I, I'll go walk through a water uh, swamp or something, I want to see. I'm looking for hunter, hunter sign. You know what I mean? And sometimes I specifically, I'm just looking for that, you know, because there's always going to be pressure. But when when is the off time of pressure? You know, if maybe you stumble on a place in November where nobody's been in for whatever reason, he's going to, that animal's going to, let us guard down a hair because he's not seeing anybody there, you know, but then I'll also use that pressure to my advantage. If guys are pounding an area and these, I know areas and I'm sure you guys do that is pounded with hunting pressure. And every year there's, there's a shooter buck in there. So he's there and he, he's, he's, I use prep. I use the hunting pressure to my advantage. You know, I'll find where the hunters are and, and I'll just adjust my hunt accordingly, you know, and then sometimes it's the off times, of the year not the peak times when everybody's hunting there i mean i know the one year i hunted a deer um he was in an area here where i lived and um everybody rifle hunted him and he was 150 class animal he's 160 the year before and maybe six years old and the rest of the population was yearlings two-year-olds young young population and he was just you know he didn't participate he was just there uh, as a satellite and and i there was guys putting blinds up in this and that rifle hunting. It's a good, you guys go hunt. You guys go get that deer. Cause I, man, them bucks get so good at what they're doing. They don't let their guard down. Their odds are in their favor when they're moving, especially on the peak times. Well, I come back and hunted in January and I shot that deer in January cause he let his guard down, you know, and I hunted the spots them guys hunted and I killed him, you know? So that's why, um, try to find when the hunters are, not just where, but when they're when they're in there and when them guys are hunting. But yeah, I'm always looking for human. You know, there's times I put cameras up just to see if someone's parking in an area or see if someone's coming in and out. You know, just to see where the humans are. You know, I want to know. It just keeps going back to knowing everything I can about that area. And it's going to take me a while because I'm not out there living every day like those deer are living with humans. You know, but um, yeah, when I get into the area, I just want to find. I want to get out there and. It, and if there's areas that, you know, some like try to play to win sometimes, I mean, there's different, like you said, uh, my senses tell me, my instincts tell me, uh, if there's an area where I think a deer might be bedded, I'll kind of not let them catch my wind and I'll kind of, you know, probe around and, and check. But um, I think the biggest thing on hunting public land for me is pressure. You could throw everything out of the window. If you had a piece of, if you take a huge piece of public land and there was, say it's a thousand acres, you got a hundred acre area, got a little, no one's in, no one ever goes in. Well, I mean, that's where he's going to be. It's just a no brainer there. You know, I want to go back a little bit to something that you mentioned when we first started talking and that was, uh, not necessarily taking advice from other people or magazines or podcasts. It's more about letting, you said, letting the individual deer teach you basically what you needed to know. So can you talk about that? Um, maybe some like some things that you learned early on with some deer, uh, like maybe some of the first bucks that you really keyed in on and, and really targeted, and maybe some things that clicked with them. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's true. The, the first deer they and I learned early that they were different animals, like where all the hunters would be, where the normal deer population was. You know, all the articles I read, I was like you said, Meyer, but they're young deer, and I was following. I, I was told to find a trail. I hunted a trail. And 
that, that wasn't good. That Like, I throw trails out the window, and that took me a long time to get away from hunting trails. Like, it still affects me. You want to see that heavy trail. Not not saying a big buck won't use a creek crossing or something that every other deer uses, but for the most part, nowadays, when I'm set up, there's no trails, per se. It's just, you know, if you're getting in, now, I'm not saying not hunt a trail, and that there's places I hunt in the Midwest, the deer population's high, and there's, you're up in the, there's trails everywhere. And so they can't help but walk on trails. But, you know, in an area where it's just an average area with maybe less, not such a high density of deer, um, these deer are just going to roam and walk. And and just like I talk about, like, scenes, finding a, a scene where he feels comfortable and there's some cover, whether it be that fence row, you know, or, or whatever it might be where two properties meet or just an area that that scene that goes, he know he's safe walking through there that he ain't going to be um picked up by a hunter you know because he knows where these hunters are i mean most of these deer and they they don't move a mile they just live with them hunters hunting up in a tree they know where they're at you know and they just keep adjusting but um i think early on yeah the, like i learned that these deer were different and lived in they didn't go where the normal normal population was um like bill said they're just like their own species you know, and that, that's fascinating because everybody's hunting the 90-some percent because that's what the sign is laid down by, that the, the rest of the deer population. But these these mature deer are, are definitely, they're just so different, you know. They, they just kind of, but, but like I said, that they there's not a lot of sign. I'm not saying don't hunt a scrape or, or a rub, you know, but I've seen some mature deer don't even participate in, the scrapes and rubs that the younger class deer put down they're just i feel like they're above and beyond that they don't even want to they're just there you know what i mean and then if they're in the area they're sent and the other deer i think they like that element of surprise like they're there and then they just show up one time and the deer like whoa look at this guy you know but you know going into breeding season they're just kind of alone they're just kind of like a recluse they're just like loners you know and just they want to be alone you know what i mean This podcast is supported by Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms, and that's where Hunting Exchange steps in. Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android built by Sears Hunters that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands or saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal, and as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. This podcast is supported by Mark's Outdoors. If you're from around Birmingham, you know of a, a staple in the hunting community here, and that would be Mark's Outdoors. They've been in business in the same location for over 40 years, family-owned and operated, and they have a reputation for being one of the best bow shops in the southeast. As we inch closer and closer to deer season, if you haven't already, it's time to dust off that bow and make sure that she's ready to roll for this hunting season. Go stop by Mark's Outdoors and check out their archery counter with Mark and Robbie, two guys I've known for years, excellent bow techs. They've worked on my bow since I started bow hunting. 
They got all the knowledge and accessories that you need to get ready to rock for this bow season. While you're in there, also make sure you check out their gun counter. They got a ton of nice rifles for everything from AR platforms to nice deer rifles and a bunch of nice shotguns as well. They also have one of the best knife selections in Alabama. I mean, really nice stuff. All kinds of custom knives in there. And their ammo selection is just unbeatable as well. We're thrilled to have Marks Outdoors on board, and we thank them for supporting the podcast. Now we're going to ask you guys to go support them. One thing that I'm also wondering about, too, is uh, I always go out with the mindset like, hey, I need to like learn something when I go out today. I need to pay attention to stuff. And then I feel like I never do because I got ADHD or something. Uh, so one thing I wonder about is do you, when you go out, do you have a game plan of like things that you're like wanting to learn or things that you're looking for, or maybe some more subtle things that you pay attention to that other people might not key in on, whether it be like a certain kind of sign or like the body language of the deer or anything like that, like details that you feel might give you an edge that guys miss. I think um, usually when I go on an out-of-state hunt, whether it be two hours or ten hours, I find myself just because uh, usually it's not like I'm going to go out there for a month. I'm going out there for five, six, eight days. I want to make the most of my time. I got to be efficient, and so like I find myself like not listening to music, not doing just in such like a tunnel vision. Like this is what I'm going to do when I'm going to get there. So I do have a game plan. Say I have some cameras there. I'm going to check these. Or I'm going to check this spot first. Um, I'm always planning everything out, but it doesn't always pan out that way. A lot of times I find that the spots I think are going to be the best or the worst. And I'm sure you guys have put cameras in areas. This is going to be good. It's going to be good. And you check it. And it's like nothing there. And then you pick the one up. It's like, this is shit. And it got all kind of buck on it. And that's just every time. You. Yeah. That's the most Michael Pike comment, like <laughs> quote ever. That's so Michael Pike. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, uh, we here this last season, you always hear, uh, the, the deer don't want to mess up their velvet. Uh, so they're not going to be in thicker areas. I stuck all these cameras out in these l- little bit more open areas, and I didn't pick up the first buck on camera during the summer. As soon as I moved them to uh, pine thickets, really thick. I'm talking about really thick. I started pick. We in probably like a month and a half, we picked up how many bucks was, it was it? Like Forty five or something. It, it, was, it, was, it was a lot. It was a ridiculous amount either way. But you know, it's just one of those things. Like you were talking about earlier, you know, you hear all of this talk, but it doesn't necessarily translate to every part of the country or in every situation, like every situation just seems to be different. And that was one of those learning curves down here in the South is the deer aren't necessarily not in the thick stuff because I mean, all of the bucks were in those really thick pine thickets, vines, you know, really good browse, yeah, really great good browse, browse, fantastic kind of just browsing habitat and stuff. It's just a lot thicker than most people would think about. Because I had the same conclu- or same thought kind of myth early on is like, oh man, those deer aren't going to be in those thickets, and that's turned out where all the big mature bucks were at were in pine thickets you couldn't see three yards into. Yeah, and they're yeah. just they're yeah. kind of slipping through. Um, but Mike, did you have something else? <laughs> I can't even <laughs> remember what we were talking about. Well, well, but, do y'all remember? Yeah. So yeah, I I mean I'm no different, and that's what. I'm no guru. I don't know everything. I, I, you know, like you got, you said, like I put cameras on, this is going to be good. I'm going to catch him here. And then it's like, it sucks. You know, literally it's like, so just I'm like, what, what's going on here? You know? So, and then like last year, actually, you know, well, the year before I spent, you know, I have an excavation business and I'm pretty busy with that. But um, the year, not last year, year before I only put 40 hours in a tree and I killed two mature bucks on, public land and i missed 150 inch 
and I was, you know, I was puffing my chest out a little bit. And then last year I hunted, I pulled my bow back once on a deer. I hunted all year, you know, so that's, what's great about it. You think you, and I, and I, when I go hunting with people, um, or ever, or talk to people about hunting, I ask them what their opinion is, because this is my take on my 20, 30 years. This is how I see it. And I, I'm not really influenced by a lot of magazine articles and podcasts and stuff like that. This is, what I've been doing because it works for me is following these animals. And that's why I like listening to Bill from Spartan Forge because, and he always asked me, is this what you're seeing? Because he's reading data from a thousand years. And I'm like, like I listened to the podcast you guys do. And I'm like, and I had to call him. I said, Bill, and I texted him. We were texting back and forth. He was just like, he's like, that's what you're seeing. I'm like, yeah. I mean, that like this is the first time light bulb went off. And that's why I'm so happy to be dealing with Bill and, and being on his pro staff because it's like, this is legit. This is what's happening on this public land. It took me 30 some years to figure it out. And you're telling me the same shit, you know, we're, it's so relative what I'm seeing in the woods, you know, and it's like, it's going to be a game changer because it is like, this is what's happening, you know, and he's tracking these deer and, and, and stuff like that with a collar. And I'm just kind of putting pieces together, little pieces over 30 years and, and, and seeing the same thing, you know? So, so that's going to be, a, I think a big help to help people see you know where the deer and how they're transitioning and what time of day and there's just so many factors involved and that's good that he's taking in consideration all that and the deer are actually colored so you're actually saying okay this is when this deer moved that's what i want to see you know what i mean um but yeah like i said me um two years ago i thought i was the man you know last year i hunted pretty hard and pulled my bow back once on a good deer and i never even flung an arrow so it's like what do you know, John? You know what I mean? It's like they throw you a loop, and, and that's what's so fascinating that there's it's just a big learning curve. It never ends. So I have a question. I know that uh, these GPS studies, you know, I, I've i always kind of gone out hunting and thought, you know, before I go out, okay, this is what I expect to happen based off of things that I've seen before. And, you know, you ha- you come up with little theories, you know, like this condition with this moon, uh this overhead underfoot this is when i'm going to be seeing the deer and you like you're you're constantly testing these little theories in your head but these gps studies like i mean just the whole wind-based bedding and all of those things i'm like i'm just like you know i'm just curious what what kind of theories or, or things have have you thought because i mean you're teaching yourself which is really good i think everybody needs to needs to have that base to start with and then they can branch out to everybody else's you know thoughts yeah. and opinions and that kind of thing but what what theories have you come up with you know in your 30 years of hunting that just you you look at it against these GPS studies and it's just like okay I was totally wrong has there been anything like that or yeah I'm right I'm spot on everything he's no um no, but I like like the guys the what you posted on Instagram, the picture like the the spots where the deer are, and it's kind of in my head like I got this picture of my hunting area, and there's not like one this deer like people talk about hunting beds. It's not like this one big monster bed that he lives in every day of his life. You know, to me that, and like people talk about hunting beds, I randomly you know. So the area that I'm thinking in my head is more flat with a lot of cover. He can bed anywhere. Randomness, you know. But, and it's like, I, sometimes I get in the woods and I, and I just feel like this is a good spot. And I feel like in my head, I got that picture. Of, like I, one analogy I wanted to use like the coronavirus, like last year was big, there was hot spots. 
all these dots. And Ryan, that picture you guys put up when you're talking to Bill about that pot, it was like there's spots that I feel like are hot. And like I said, so last year I was in the woods all year, and I should pull my bow back once on a deer. So I don't know, and not knowing is what's intriguing because I want to know, you know. So um, I feel like they live randomly, nomadic, some of these deer to help survive and not be patterned, which makes sense to me because they're leaving scent and they smell and there's predators out there. How do they know you can't smell them? You know what I mean? It's like you use things to their advantage. They can smell other deer. They can smell coyotes. They can smell this. So I feel like, you know, and, and then another thing that I've said, and I like how I, I've been using analogies a lot in my podcast is just so people can relate to humans and how they live, you know. But um, I even use the analogy of like a balance scale when I talk is because I'll say one thing, like I'll do one thing in a situation to tip the scales in my direction, but I'll do the 180 and to tip the scales the other way, you know. So I will talk in this way and that way. I catch myself doing that, but it's for different situations, you, you're going to do different things, maybe a 180 in this situation and something in that situation. That's why I talk about having a tool in your toolbox, you know, adding tools to it. You know, not every bolt you open, you take out is a 12 millimeter. There's all kind of bolts out there. Um, but the one thing about deer movement, everybody wants to know, okay, this deer, he's getting up and he's moving, whether he's radio caller or what he is. You're trying to find a reason for his movement. But how do you know there's a reason for it? Like maybe you want to take a Sunday drive and you ask your old lady, where you want to go? I don't know. Let's take a ride. So maybe you're just, you know, like you're just taking a ride out in the country or something, you know, and someone said, where are you going? They stop and ask you like, oh, we're just going for a ride. Like, I feel like some of these deer can be that way to where you ask them, where are you going? He's like, I don't know. I'm just going for a walk. You know, like everybody wants to find that he has to be feeding he has to be going here and like you know what i mean like that ain't always the case why is there a reason there might not be a reason i've talked on other podcasts about people categorizing different scrapes and rubs and names of them and, and trying to trying to humanize it yeah we're trying to get a give a reason for everything they do that doesn't that doesn't have to be right deer gets up and takes a walk or deer comes running across the road maybe he just wanted to get to the other side you know what i mean like the chicken i mean there might not be the reason for it he's just got to get to the other side so yeah you could put a lot of thought in it but i think that and like i get in the spots with people and i said this is a good spot but that doesn't mean you're gonna shoot a deer there you know um this might be a spot that he you know he visits and maybe he's not there right now maybe he's at this other spot you know what i'm saying so with it with the gps studies everything's i guess seeming so random uh what has it changed, like, how you hunt or what areas you hunt based on how random it is? Is there anything that's increasing your odds of coming across, you know, this buck when you're out there hunting? I think with the GPS, with, with Spartan Forge, I think it's going to help when when the deer move, when they're going to be on their feet. Because everybody could, I could walk all day in the woods and I'll tell you where the deer are. But I, I've, I know in my past that I've sat in a tree and I can't, you know, I, I deal away with the, um, you know, the barometer and the moon and because i've dabbled in a little bit and it's not always 100 percent. so why you know why deal with something like in areas that i hunt that if the wind ain't a constant why even worry about it you know what i mean worry about what you know is happening and if, if you don't know that that's happening then you can't worry about it but i think um with what bill's product is it's going to tell you 
when these deer are moving, when when they're on their feet, and where. And it's not like Bill even talks always. It's not black and white. There's no the deer's going to get up out of his bed and move to the feeding at this time. You know, and I feel like I'm Bill right now the way because. But this is how I see it. This doesn't happen. You know, and and it and there's no black and white answer even with the data he got. Johnny, one thing I like about you is you don't have you don't have the mindset where like it's you don't have all these absolutes. Like you're very like a flexible guy where you're going to take the situation with whatever you're given. Okay. Like what you're saying, like, you know, sometimes you're going to be real aggressive. Sometimes you're going to play it safe. Sometimes you're going to go and knowing exactly what you're going to do. Sometimes you go in with no plan at all. And you're just going to play it and just not really fly by your shoe, your pants, but you're looking for that sign. And where's the right spot to go in and kill that buck instead of going with a preconceived notion. Oh, I'm going to go sit off, you know, off the edge of this bowl because of whatever reason. And then you get in there and you sit there because you put so much time and effort and scouting this spot, but you sit there and there's no sign they're telling you that that buck's coming through there or whatever, and you're just wasting a hunt. Instead of you're going to kind of stay mobile and kind of figure out where you truly need to be. And that's one thing that's very interesting about you. You're, you're not still like stead, steadfast with one specific tactic or approach. You're flexible. You're very much uh, – what did, what did Troy Potter say? Uh, a, what do you call it? Hybrid hunter. A hybrid hunter. Where like, you, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a pre-hung set, you're hunting mobile, hunting off the ground. However, like you're going to be flexible in every situation, which is a definition of like a hybrid hunter. No matter the situation, you can adapt to the situation and overcome whatever you're trying to, you know, put yeah. it into. I mean, a lot of people get um, – they just get – tied up with this one specific way they hunt like they've got to hunt out of a tree all the time or something like that or you know it's good to try out different things and kind of you know adapt on the fly because you don't know what I mean you carry a a big tree stand all the way in and then you get out there and there's not a tree but and you know a lot of people might would just find another spot where they where they could actually you know climb a tree but instead like if you know where you need to be like being able to adapt like come off the ground or something like that um you know that's always beneficial i think a lot of people just get so hung up on i've got to do it this specific way and then they end up missing out because they weren't able to adapt yeah absolutely uh and that brings up a a really good point i wanted to kind of get back into you mentioned this kind of early on uh johnny which is uh asking questions going into situations and always asking questions. Every time you're in the woods, asking questions to yourself of what's happening. Can you talk about some of the, what are some of the questions you ask when you're out on a piece of property? Um, and maybe some of the questions you've asked yourself throughout the years that you kind of ask maybe beforehand while you're at the truck, you ask while you're in the field, and then you come back and try to figure out, okay, what did you learn from this situation? That's a good question, Jay, because it's always asking questions. You find, Whether it's a, a track you find crossing a road or, or a deer you see crossing a road or you see one when you're going down the road. And that's another thing going back um i told you like when you find when i used to find or growing up i would sense that these mature deer did different stuff um if you're driving down the road and you see a deer and and a mature deer you just go and, and look and a lot of times the answers are right there and it's, it's something different that you know maybe you caught him maybe in a little window and it was thick maybe he's running along the road but excuse me there and then I go back to like wishy-washy, you know, there's a reason he was there, but is there a reason he was there? Was he randomly, did he get pushed? But um, um, a lot of times I figure there is some reason for him to be there, you know, um, but then, you know, the biggest question is where's he bedding from? Where's he, where's he bed at? You know, and it all depends on where you're hunting, what the terrain's like, what the cover's like. It goes back to what Bill says, if you find a lot of cover, the chances are they're going to bed, they can bed anywhere, you know, where you got less co- cover, but, um, I think um, 
the biggest thing is where's you, everybody wants to know where he's bedding at, you know. So that's one thing, you know, and down your way, it don't happen a lot. But here, I, I like to go out when there's snow and just follow deer. You can learn so much from, from a deer, you know, where he's, I haven't followed deer with, in a rain, you know, with heavy rain mats the leaves down. I, I track deer that way, you know, and you can learn a lot from that. You just find, find a deer, you know, where the leaves are kicked up or where it's heavy, he's dragging, you know, old square toast dragging down in the woods. You can find them that way. But, um, I know the biggest thing, and then usually I will um, find try to find where he probe a little bit, you know, try to um, know where he's bedding. Um, without that's another thing you got to know what's going on without screwing it up yourself. You know what I mean? But I think the biggest thing is when you see a deer and or like where, where's he going? You know what I mean? What is it? What time of year is it? Is it the right? Is he going to look for does? Did a guy push him out of here? Just so many questions you ask. But I think the biggest thing is where, where's he deriving from? You know, whether it's your camera, you want to try to get to work. You're catching him coming. That's the biggest thing. The bed, the bed. Where's he bedding at? You know, um, that everybody wants to find. That's probably the biggest question I ask. But um, it's always like, where's the hunters? Where's this? Where, where's the does bedding at? And then, like in my head, I keep going back to like, kind of know. It, when, and then another thing is when you're walking through the forest, you know, timber or whatever, you, um, where'd you jump deer? Where did you jump doe? But they're there. Maybe they live there. You know, there's a, maybe a matriarch, you know, or something like that, 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 that buck knows. And, and I've done that a lot. Just, just hiking. And then a, the advantage you might have when you're hiking through the woods and learning about the area that that buck, if he's not living with the rest of the population, he's missing out on something that you're bumping does and he don't know you're doing it. So you're learning where the rest of the population is. You know what I mean? And um, you can utilize that to your advantage. I've done that a lot. Just when I'm hiking, where did I bump a deer? You know, as long as it ain't so crunchy, you're bumping them before you even get there. If it's like a, a rainy day, you're sneaking, walking. I bump doe here. I bump doe here. I bump the yearling here. So, okay, this is where the population lives. Okay. And he's, he's over in his own little world, you know, hiding from the hunters. But you're out there going through the rest of the, you know, checking everybody. You know what I mean? Like patting everybody down out there. And he's he's over in his little uh, honey hole, wherever it might be. But you're learning what he already, you know, and you're not spooking him by learning what the rest of the population, where, where they're at. You know, and then you could use that maybe during a rut. You, I'm, and that sometimes that's just what it comes down to. I remember I seen does feeding here. I'd seen doe beds, you know, they'll bed in, in groups, you know, that's another thing they'll talk about but the, you'll catch a couple of doe beds and you put that in your memory break that's where you need to be come the rut maybe that's as simple as that you know what i mean where, where are they where does he you know and what's the easiest route and they're lazy animals and old, old mature deer you know sometimes they're just close by you know and they're just their own little spot that the deer don't even mess with and that, that's where he's at but that's that's a one good tip is to just get out when you're hiking make a mental note of where these deer are you know, because like I said, I talk about the general population of deer here, and he's here. So if you're out during a day hiking, and a lot of times I will be hiking, and I'm pretty confident I'm not going to jump that deer, but I'm learning about the rest of the area. You know, that, that's a good thing to take out. Johnny, what questions do you ask when you go in and it's in season, you're doing some in-season scouting, maybe you're, you know, on one of these pieces of public land that you've driven three to ten hours ago hunt. What questions are you asking yourself when it comes to stand location when you're actually in the woods, bow in hand, during bow season? What questions are you asking when it comes to finding the tree or the setup that you're like, this is probably going to where I'm going to have the best opportunity to shoot the buck that I'm trying to go after? 
I think the first thing is the wind. What's the wind going to do? Because, you know, they, they use their nose. Um, that's number one, is try to get to them and use the wind to your advantage. I mean, there's some areas, like I talked about earlier, place on hunt, it's pretty rugged. Um, and a lot of these deer stay off the tops, you know, because um, they use thermals, they'll come up to the top. But a lot of it's rugged. Sometimes, I don't know, probably where you... <laughs> Where you guys are, it's flat, but um, general rolling hills and shit, but there's some rugged shit that you're going to cut off an angle if you get up in a tree. So that's one thing I, I watch in some of the places um, that I hunt is, is um, cutting off that angle. If you get your shooting almost, you might single lung a deer. So you got to be careful that you might have to sit on the ground um, just to get a half angle on that deer's heart. Um, I think wh what's the wind doing? I, and that's one thing when you're sitting in a tree, you're always, you know, is it going that way? I think usually I got a kind of a general idea where the deer are coming from. And then I, sometimes when I set up, like, what when I set in this, this tree, if, if deer can, you know, maybe it's a rut, maybe it's a swirly, some places there's a rut, swirly wind. Sometimes I, if I'm on a flat, I get a pie to keep my scent out, out of the direction. Or sometimes you just do what you can and hope that you know they can get 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 to you you know if the wind swirls and maybe you're in a doe bedding area there, there's times i you know last year i had a big mature deer right beside me and the wind swirled hit him in the face but i mean you got to go hunt you know you can't there's areas that it swirls but you got to get in there trying to be scent free um but yeah the, the wind is the biggest thing but also when i'm sitting there if a deer can come 360 are you able to sit in a tree if you're out all day are you able to sit if it's a wet day or you know, if the deer can come in, I mean, sometimes you're like looking behind you all day long, you know, and that makes for a long day because, you know, them bucks, everybody says how they sneak in, you know. Um, so I, I'm careful on hunting the spot. Um, if it's like, if it's like doing a rat and I'm looking for an all day hunt, careful hunting the spot that a deer could come 360 because it seems like it makes for mentally, it's a tough day to just sit and look over your shoulder. I end up standing and facing a tree because I'm looking, you know what I mean? And my bow's right close because I always think about that because how, how are you going to, if it's wet and a deer can come, maybe it's a big flat or some cover, and, you know, they camouflage, they pop up. It's like, man, I could sit here all day and I'm going to get caught off guard. You know, sometimes I like to plan, if it's an all-day hunt, sometimes I like to have it a crunchy leaves where you could hear them actually coming, you could be prepared. So I think I'm careful on like on an all-day hunt, what the situation is, you know, are you able to catch a deer if he comes in 360, you know, um, and I, I feel like them deer like them cold, crunchy mornings where they get here a long way, especially a morning with a heavy frost, and they get here, they're kind of in position already, and they get here a long ways and hear deer, but um, I mean, the wind's number one, um, and I don't anymore, you know, when I was younger, I used to get up higher, but look at the situation, um, the trees get smaller and the canopy is pretty empty if you're a big blob up there on a tree um a lot of these deer can they'll sense something different you know we've seen does bucks look up so i've been getting lower and um i, I don't use a big you know stand I, I try to stay tight to the tree to kind of look like a bump on a tree kind of like not i try not to use a big stand to where i'm a foot away from the tree and i'm this doesn't look natural you know what i mean um, I try to get in tight to the tree, um, and I'm not, and it, like I said, it goes back to 
if it, it, it depends if it's a crunchy leave day I, I probably not too worried about cover around me you know what I mean um, because I, to me I'm already ready if I hear a deer coming I'm ready and by the time it gets to me it's too late chances are you know what I mean but um, a lot of people you know worry about being skyline and stuff like that well in a situation where maybe I'm looking over my shoulder all day and it's a wet damn day maybe I want to hide myself because when that deer comes I'm gonna have to grab my boat turn around do this stand up you know so I think take that stuff into consideration you know the what what the um, what the weather's doing you know how much cover if, you know if you're in a tight area or if there's one trail you know he's coming on I mean that's it's a no-brainer you know what I mean um, you can be ready and watch out one trail funnel or like a scrape you know you can just kind of focus on that um and just hide yourself and focus on that um but i always do sit in a tree and like and i, I when i'm sitting up I can i if he comes this way can i pull on him where am i going to draw i like i don't like you know they get to see all the way around them damn near with just the move of their head so i and i try to hide behind my bow i put my bow up and i hide behind it and just kind of get tight to the tree but um i'm always sitting there thinking how i can draw on a deer without him detecting me you know what i mean um, maybe when his head goes behind this tree, I'll pull back and then it's a, it's a, you know, you, it's, a, you're on pins and needles. I mean, do you stop them? Do you not stop them? Do you shoot them when they're walking? There's all kind of, I mean, we can have a whole podcast about stuff like that. You know what I mean? Anymore. I don't even try not to stop them. I just, I just shoot them when they're walking. You know what I mean? Um, now, John, I've got to ask this because this is something I've been curious with, especially talking to you about, you know, it's the way you approach whitetail hunting and hunting a mature buck. What gets you fired up? What gets you when you're going in the woods, especially if you're going in an area and you don't already have like a preconceived notion of exactly where you're going to get to, but you have a general area you're going to kind of work into. What gets you fired up about a spot to set up in? Like when you've got boots on the ground, whether you're scouting or you're, it's in season, you got your bow in your hand, trees down your back. What gets you fired up? What gets you wondering like, hey, I got to set up right here because of X, Y, Z? I think uh, if it's a spot that I find uh, that there's not much pressure and I find – some hot sign, you know, and you're getting in close to the rut, you know, middle October and even in November, I feel like, um, if there's not many people hunting it, chances are you can catch them around that morning, evening, you know, maybe, maybe some oaks, uh, you know, and if you, and deer are individually different. I mean, if you find like an area that's been out of scrapes, you're like, oh man, it, this deer is aggressive. He might be living there. He might be close by and there's no pressure. It's like, and there might even like scrapes that he checks. He's just got aggression, and, and he's waiting on that rut. And he's just pawing the ground up, putting the scent around, pissing everywhere. Um, chances are he's he's close, rubbing trees. Like that's a different individual animal. Some deer are like passive, and there's some aggressive deer. I, I mean, I found one deer a few years back that was, I'd say, he was four or five years old. He rubbed up his twenty-year-old clear cut. He owned it. I jumped him in there once or twice. Um, he's bedding in there, rubbing in there, just like. That was his, as an individual, that's what he did at that point in his life. And first time I hunted, I, I mean, I had my bow on him at 40 yards. I didn't I didn't shoot. And then it was just like a no-brainer. There was this area that was like end of October, going to November. It was He would just claim that area with his testosterone level and what maybe um, his age that he was, where he was in his life. He, he was, and he had his chest all puffed out, you know, all roostered up. He was wanting that claiming that area but if you can find that and no one's around it's like man this is where i want to hunt and i seen that deer two or three times and that was um four years ago and that was the deer uh, last year i had him underneath me and the wind swirled and and as an it's another story this deer i thought so i seen him in that clear cut and then the following year i thought this is it i'm going to kill him he moved 
you know, he just had a better area that he wanted to be, or maybe it was a bigger buck. And I didn't get any bigger bucks, but there was, a, yeah, I think he got bumped out here by some hunters and he just changed his attitude. You know what I mean? Like, um, tucked his tail and ran like a dog. You beat a dog. It's kind of like, you know, it just kind of affected him to where he changed how he lived. And I found him living in other areas that he wouldn't even barely rub trees. You know what I mean? But if I can find an area that nobody's at, you know, you're getting into November and a deer's aggressive and, and claiming that personality wise, he's aggressive. And it's usually not an old, old deer. You know, you're usually talking for somewhere in that three to five range to where they're like, to me, it was like a 22, 23 year old guy, you know, made most testosterone he's getting in his life to make him that way. But not there's deer that aren't, they're passive that are that age, you know, but, um, yeah, if I can find a place with a lot of fresh rubs sign, to me it's an aggressive deer, and chances are he's close by, and, and nobody's hunting him, and that's some good hunting, you know, that's just like, man, he's, you know, it's a matter of time, you're like, he's living here, he's claiming his territory for whatever reason, you're probably going to see him. When it comes to, like, older, like, older age class mature bucks, you're talking, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, do you think or see in some of these situations that they just leave potentially less silence is highly pressured publicly in like when they get to a certain age it's almost like they kind of like you know pull it back a little bit or do you think it's still like uh, i mean anything i mean they're still going to leave some pretty big sign is, or is it more personality based That's i'd I say m- m- probably when they get older they they take a step back their testosterone's dropping to me and they're not as aggressive still participating and i think some well some areas in where i hunt they're more worried about surviving they've been through some tough winters and they don't. They'll breed one or two does, and I think their their main focus turns to survival. Especially, their days are numbered as they get an older animal and, and maybe weaker. You know, but just kind of on their downward side, um, to where they're they're not as aggressive and they do participate, but it's not always um, the guy that's making all the scrapes and rubs and chasing other deer off. And you know, they they don't want to be. I don't think they want to be bothered with all like. You don't see no uh, some sixty-year-old guy going to a sorority, you know, like I mean, a, a party for you know what I mean? It's like that's Mike. <laughs> when I <laughs> when I get sixty, I'll, I'll like a frat party. It's like you know what I mean? It's like, you're different. I don't they, they don't deal with that. Like you know what I mean? It's like yeah. I don't want to be around all that stuff. Yeah. I'm done with it. I did that. I lived that. So that's where analogy comes in that way. I don't want to be at the frat party drinking, doing kegs and stuff. They're like, man. If, <laughs> Mike's gonna be yeah, the standalone buck. <laughs> yeah, the old deer they, they do change, and the, sometimes them old deer are just like some of them are just totally nocturnal and don't want to be affected by anything. Very little rutting activity, and uh, yeah. So, John, let me cut yeah. you off real quick. Let me cut you off real quick. When you you talked about nocturnal bucks a couple, couple different times on this podcast, when you mean nocturnal, I like you for you to describe this. When you mean no, a, a bucks being nocturnal, are you mean? He's just not really coming out of his little core uh, daytime bedding area. He kind of stays in that until the last few minutes of legal light, and then he's leaving. He's not going out and making any kind of, uh, you could say, commutes. or he, He's not covering any kind of ground necessarily outside of legal hours for the most part, other than right in his core little bedding area. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, I've hunted a lot of deer, that, and, and I feel like they have to be in that little core area. Maybe it's 100 square yards. 50 square yards, whatever, and they're just going to live there during a the day. But there's not saying they, they don't want to travel out and see what's out there. Um, so, but 
they like that low light situation, like you said, the last 20 minutes um, where they'll start moving their antsy. They want to get out and feed and see what all the other deer populations do and scrape wise and see where the does are bedding and learn about the whole situation. Or it might be just that thing, just taking a Sunday drive. They might just go out for a walk because they want to, they've been cooped up all day in their house, like Corona, you know, you've cooped up in your house all the time. You want to get out, you know what I mean? So he's there all day because he knows he has to be there to survive. And like I said, a lot of these deer, I've seen a lot of these, and, and it's the same thing. Like they got their plan where they want to go when nighttime hits. Then maybe the night before they left off checking these doe groups, maybe a rut's coming. They're going to pick up there. And it's like, I've seen these deer. It's like, and that's when you hear that steady walk. And that, he just walk. He knows where he's going. And he's confident about where he's going uh, because he knows that where he's at, no one's around. You know, and usually... He's calm, he's all right making that noise and that that the first you know couple minutes of his walk might be a hundred yards out because then it's going to be damn near dark and he can damn near probably hear or smell that way he's going the first hundred or so yards so he's pretty confident on what he's doing that first little bit of you know um, time before dark I know the one year I shot a deer I I kind of knew where he's bedding and I snuck in and the last hundred yards I walked like a deer like made that noise and I grunted and I got set up and it, it assured him that there was nothing out there to be afraid of and it maybe calmed him down a little bit to where he got up and I shot that deer he come by me and it was you know 80 100 yards from his bed um but he was confident he did it for years he was an older animal um stayed in one spot and at last little you know what I mean you take a normal guy that just going hunting he might walk like a human get up in a tree make that noise and that buck's just never going to move you know so like act like a deer too when you're going to your spot whether you grunt or you walk like a deer or or whatever sometimes i'll act like i'm making a scrape or, or making a rub you know just to shore the deer because you got to get in tight to them deer. maybe think there's another deer there you know what i mean and not always i think some guys use in some public lands a grunt i, don't, I just don't even use a grunt too because i feel like a lot of these mature deer know what a grunt call sounds like and it's just they're going to stay whether they think it's a deer or not, they're just like, no, I don't trust that. You know what I mean? So a lot of times I don't take a grunt call. I don't take antlers. I'm not saying there's times it wouldn't work, but there's instances where, like, I, I just want to be quiet and, and hidden, you know, and, and catch him on his own own time, knowing, knowing all I can about the animal and knowing he's going to come by there. So that was actually – I was – I was going to let Jacob go ahead, but that was going to be like one of uh, my questions. And since you already hit on it, I was going to ask you if you use any kind of, um, I called it finesse tactics last, last season. Um, and Mike, I was able to get on. Mike killed a pretty good deer last year doing this. So uh, talk, talk about yeah. Mike. Just roll with it. Um, I like that. What I call finesse tactics, you know, not using the grunt, not using, you know, the rattling. Um, but I've used a couple of different things. I've, crunched bark up if I was up in a tree you know just took like pine bark and just crunched it up um if I'm on the ground which I do a lot of ground hunting um even just acting like your deer running around especially during the rut like if you're on the fringe of like a bedding area like you can always tell you know in the woods you you just get that feeling okay thermals just changed You're, you're starting to hear birds chattering a little bit you know it's that time and to just go ahead and and hit the ground like you're a deer maybe walking around and then I'll you know do little tactics like you know okay I have deer walking around 
And then here I have one that's, you know, quicker pace, like a, a deer's running after another one. And, you know, just using those little subtle things like that, uh, just to, to kind of bring, I guess, to raise the curiosity of the deer to make them come and just kind of check and see what's going on. Um, so that was going to be like a question I, I was going to ask is if you used anything like that, but I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit already. Is there anything else like that that you do like to, to try to, you know, coax them in? Yeah, I like that finesse stuff. Yeah, sometimes I'll get, if I got a lot of leaves under underneath my tree, I'll get like a maybe a five foot, four or five foot tall stick, you know, maybe inch or two in diameter and I'll tie it to my rope and my tree stand, drop it on the ground, you know, like a deer sometimes, you know, just to kind of calm them thinking that maybe there's another deer. I know one year I was hunting years ago, I was hunting in the old noise and, uh, these, there's a, there's a Creek and there was a couple fingers going up to these fields and this, in this timber. And, and I, I knew where I wanted to get, but uh, it was such a heavy frost, you know, going in in the morning and I didn't want to go in before, before dark. I kind of wanted to wait till almost light. Like if I, in case I bumped something, I could see a deer. Well, I mean, I walked through 200 yards of, of the timber sounding like a deer. And my tree stand was on like a little gas right away that went up to the field, uh, just like a little overgrown 10 foot wide right away or something. And I get about 60 yards from my tree. There's a big buck laying under my tree. And he looked at me and I was making that noise and it was just right on the fringe of light, you know, getting bright and, and I could see his rack. But in this, actually, this deer I think was one of those aggressive deer that he had this area scraped up and rubbed up like he claimed this little spot, you know. So he heard that me walking and I was only 60 yards away, but but in his mind, he, he said, that's another buck coming into my territory. And I'm talking November 8th, 10th, where he's like, He's like, man, this, and, and he had the attitude. You find the right deer with the right attitude. So he ran like 50, 60 yards, maybe 80 yards away, and he stood there. And I walked like that up to my tree stand. I climbed my tree stand, and then I sat there. But he didn't, I guess he didn't, like maybe I got quiet enough, and I got up my stand. He didn't see me. But he literally thought I was standing under my tree, and he was probably thinking, I was smelling his bed, you know, it was another deer. So I remember he, you know, it would last until daylight. He walked downwind and luckily I was sent free enough. He did a big circle all the way around me and then he went out of sight. But, um, later that day or no, I hunted there in the morning, a few hours. Well, yeah, later in the day, maybe before, I think I stayed there all day and, uh, I rattled and this deer come running right to my tree from, I don't even know where he was. But he was so pissed and his buck, you know, come up to, to, to that his bed and, and kind of kicked him out. Maybe he thought it was a bigger buck in the area or something. But he come right up to my tree and um, he was a good deer, 140, 150 inch deer. And I remember he was probably 10 yards away. So I, I, I pulled my bow back and I, I aimed. And uh, right when I, you know, these deer or something else, right when I got my pin settled on him, um, and right before he took one step back and, and he, like he was looking up at me, he seen me, I hit that trigger. He moved so fast that I hit him in the neck. I can't, them animals are so, something else. I mean, this was like 10 yards. And I told my buddy, I said, you go stand out 10 yards. Let me shoot it. <laughs> you know, it was like, I, 
I was like zeroed in on his deer. He's dead, ten yards, and he took one step back. When he looked up, and he took one step back, like oh, and he turned so fast. That the, you know, it was at the sound of the bowstring, and I hit him in the neck. I never found. You know, I know he survived, but it was like another story to where that, you know, it was an aggressive animal that he claimed that, like that one I was talking about. Um, but yeah, and the tactic, just getting into your spot, um, sound like a deer, and. Like I said, if you're all you're always walking a fine line because um, you got to give the odds to them. But you know you'll try to get a little bit odds. So a lot of times when you're getting to your tree stand, um, maybe take a creek, to try to be quiet. But other when you get out of it, maybe walk like a deer. I I try to do that. You know what I mean? And and it seems to calm the deer down, especially like you know before light or right on a bird of light when when you know it's, everything's calm. It, but I always like getting there right at daylight so I can kind of see what's going on, you know. But um, so yeah, I, I, I do try to sound like like the animal, like a deer, you know. And um, a lot of times I'll find um, deer that are like, and I think like if there's a road where hunters come in, and I think like the animal, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be 800 yards back in the woods out right before daylight. I would I would want to be by the road, you know. And so many guys park, shut the door, and like there's situations where i said well i'm gonna have to park a half a mile down the road and walk up the road and, and go in there because i don't want him to know that i'm parking here shutting the door that happens a lot um watch where you park know that like put yourself in their shoes you're living out in the woods and you got someone kind of hunt you would you want to be way back in the woods or you just want to be 100 yards off the road and listening who's coming to hunt you today you know what i mean that that's how they are it's like Okay, I got two guys parked here today. Okay, what if it's like, hey, it might be the deer that you you drive up and down a road and see the deer along the road. He might be there because he's just waiting for someone to park and know that, you know, no one's around. Or, you know, if no one parks here, he might just um, go about his business and, and look for does. But you know, he he it goes back to him knowing what's going on too in, in his area. You know, so take that in consideration when you're trying to get to your stand. You know. John, I've got a question from something you said early on the podcast. It's something that I know me and Andrew have done. I know Mike's done it too, but you brought it up, and I'd like to bring it back up for the listeners, which is and sometimes when you're hunting a new piece of public land, if you don't necessarily know where the hunting pressure's at, it's good to kind of either sleep in one morning until, like you said, like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning, drive those roads and find where everybody's parked at. When did you start picking up on that, and how do you kind of use that to your advantage? I know you said you were like driving around, trying to find where guys at, kind of go where everybody's not at. But like, when did you kind of start picking up on that and start implementing that kind of tactic of riding roads during mornings when everybody's kind of out in the woods? Um, probably on the days, on the time, the times when I would hunt, 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 and I get so wore out that you would just say, "I'm going to take a run." You know, it's mentally and physically tough going out there hunting all the time, and whether it's out of state, you want to hunt and beat them badass i'm hunting every day but then you you like anybody gets wore out and it's like i'm just gonna sleep in and i'm gonna take a ride so yeah i try to mimic that nowadays not trying to be some tough guy and i tell people that go out of state and they're trying to be hardcore i ain't got seven days i said you it's like volume and, and intensity go hand in hand it's like when your volume's up your intensity's down you can't be intense and do everything right get into the woods stay there all day look around your tree 360, go back, go to sleep, get up the next day, do it. And it's just like, that's intense. You're, it's, you can't do it for a, a long time. And I, I learned when I used to travel a lot, different states and hunt, it was like, I was intense for about four day stretch. I could do it. 
you know, then I would just, you know, maybe go get a few beers one night, eat dinner, and then I think sleep in that next day, and you kind of kick yourself. Oh, man, you know, you should have been out, and it gives you a whole reset your mind to say, okay, I'm, I'm back on. Okay, I, but it's that um, thing that you do that, that re resets your computer, you know, and a lot of times when I tried being the tough guy and go six, seven, eight days straight, I mess up, whether it's your scent control, getting in and out of the woods, getting there at the right time, and that's when they're going to bust you. So do it right and be intense, have low volume, um, and be in to keep your intensity high for that four days, and then get out and take a walk. Go walk. Who cares? You know what I mean? So that's 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 what I've been doing, just trying to be intense for short bursts, you know, because it is tough. You think about it, just everything I, I talked about, you know, it's not – it's not something you could do for a long stretch. Well, you get careless. Uh, you know, you're waking up, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes later than you would because you, you know, you, you don't want to go out there because you're so wore out. And then mm -hmm. you're just careless when you get there and all of those things add up. And I mean, it just, I, I feel the same way. Like when, when you sleep in and get that extra rest, um, it, you're on your A game. Well, uh, Johnny, the question, one of the questions I had was, um, actually, what was the question I had? Dadgummit. What I it, swear, COVID oh. has really screwed everybody up. Well, at least me. Oh. I think it's uh, yeah, definitely screwed y'all up, Definitely too. not helped me. Memory, like, I, I cannot remember anything with. since I had COVID. <laughs> yeah, no. Dude, what was that freaking question, Dadgummit? It was a question. I knew I, I was going to. I know. You're like, oh, I'll answer that in just a second. <laughs> Um, hold on. Let me think of this. Oh, dude, hold on. I know I got another question I want to ask, but uh, dang it, dude. Well, ask the other one. You'll probably think of the, okay. the first right. one in the middle of your well, question. Well, the first, the first one was more relative to what we were talking about. But no. Um. So the other question I had. Oh man, that, this is gonna bother me. No, so the, <laughs> you'll remember it now. Yeah, you're gonna forget both questions. No, no, no. no, no. So, so the other question I had was, um, you know, what have you learned? Like, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned, or just some important lessons you learned over the last ten years? Uh, of really kind of targeting like a lot of these like older age class bucks. Uh, is there anything specifically you picked up on or anything in the last 10 years that you could kind of share with the listeners and somebody that's, again, not at your level, but they want to get to, again, the point of be able to take more mature bucks? I remember the question you were talking about, Jake. Answer, about, that one, answer that one first. We'll cut all this. Gonna, right. <laughs> what was it? What was it? It was uh, the hunting midday. Boom. Going in the I, midday, yeah. Uh, I was going to answer – this you know kind of with that yeah, you know what I'm like, so i think the biggest thing is like during a rut is midday i mean um that's when the like talking about rut and that's usually when i would travel to different states so i'm going to kind of answer both questions is, um because i really because of my work I, I don't get out there early season so i'm traveling um for the rut um because that's mostly when the, you're gonna have um sightings will be you know seeing deer, more deer because of, of the rut uh, but i found out the, the midday is probably the best time to be out in the woods and and i do believe like you said get out there i've sat years in that cold frost morning before daylight and i didn't start seeing a buck still move till night i mean religious like this is this is like you know and my buddies that hunt you know they're younger go-getters and they're, they're out there before daylight and I, you know i'm just like eh, i'm not going up to about eight I'm like what do you mean it's like but um, that's when them big deer start to move around. I don't know if it's because they're kind of 
bed it up and listen. You know, I'm thinking like a cold, frosty morning, or or if they're just waiting for the does to get settled in and, and they feel like they're going to be in their kind of bedding area, or in their, you know, localized areas, then if they kind of key in on those areas, they know where to go. They don't got to waste time. But um, I think definitely, you know, I learned to hunt midday. I mean, and don't like, I know it's warmer down your way, but even up this way, 70, 80 degree, 90 degree, you know, 80 degree days, I would see them one, two o'clock, you know. Um, but I learned to hunt middle of the day and then you're going to catch them that's not usually in bedding areas that's when they're going to be moving it seems like maybe to a dome bedding area or some type of funnel or bench um, but I think that's that's the biggest thing I learned when I'm traveling and hunting is to stay in there for that midday hunt um, or just focus on that midday hunt and I'm talking rut because um, I usually don't and then we could talk about late season because I've I'm off as far as my occupation, and, and I do really good late season. Um, and I learned to, because of my occupation, is I learned to be able to hunt in, in you know, December, January. And um, I feel like that's another time when the hunters aren't in the woods. Um, the deer calm down, and they have to, I don't know so much about where you guys are, but they have to, in a northern area, they have to feed you know, uh, maybe the rut or something warm down. They have to feed more to, you know, keep their metabolism moving and, and keeping them warm on the colder days. Um, and, they're, and they're not, it's the opposite of the rut. They're not moving far. Everything's kind of, you know, they let their guard down a little bit for hunting pressure um, because they have to feed. But also the hunters are less, they're not as many guys in the woods. So, um, but that's on a northern, you know, not kind of pertaining to where you guys are, but I learned to hunt, you know, and have success later in the year because you can, um, key, you can um, kind of pattern them a little more, know, know where they're going to be based on what's left in the, in, in the forest or in the fields as far as forage. And, uh, you know, it's gonna, they're going to be close by, you know, especially when you get some cold, cold weather. A long stretch, they have to probably even down your way. A long stretch of cold weather, they gotta, you know, it's gonna sap some calories out of their body. They gotta, oh, yeah. And, uh, John, let me ask you this again, uh, just that kind of question. You know, over the last decade or so, you know, what's some big takeaways that you've learned over the last, you know, decade or so that you can kind of share with the listeners? And maybe there's something that they can try to start focusing on implementing or learning more, uh, just from this episode. Uh, the last 10 years, um, my biggest thing, uh, probably in the last eight, 10 years, is scout more, hunt less. That's my motto. Um, but I think it's me not worrying about, I don't have nothing to prove. I'm not trying to be some big buck. I mean, I, I'm just so intrigued by themselves, them deer, that I, that's what I do. Is is. Um, but then in them eight, 10 years, all that scouting give me a lot of, and I always talk, use the analogy of, another tool for your toolbox. When I was younger, I just had a little itty bitty toolbox. Now I got a, to me, a whole service truck with cranes and, and air hose, everything, like any type of tool you could use, like it's just another tool. Now, now I got such a, such a, I could work on anything. You know what I mean? Like that's an analogy I use a lot that, um, it's not just, you know, just the crescent wrench and a couple of screwdrivers. Um, but all that scouting, all them years, helped me 
be able to be a better hunter, you know. So I think that's the biggest thing is scout more. And that's my motto, scout, scout more, hunt less. It's like um, keep scouting until you know you're in some good area. I mean, and I talk about instances where I'll kind of run through the woods. There's been times I would just get to a place. I moved from one state to another, and it was almost dark. I said, well, this is the best time. To, it was rut. I said, this is when deer should be moving. I said, I'm just going to go through near walk fast, run through the woods. And, and I even, and that's another thing. You're running through, walking through the woods fast. That's not normal for a deer that they're used to people walking through the woods. They're going to pretty much stand and look at you. I haven't had deer look at me when you're damn near running through the woods. Cause they, that, you know, but going through the woods at that pace, you're taking in. What's this crazy guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, right? I mean, you, that's you what they're going to do. <laughs> they're and, and so you move faster through the woods. That's not a normal pattern that they hear from hunters it's like what is this you know but um <laughs> if you move fast through the woods and they might they, they're gonna react like that but um he's headed to that mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> trying to get there before they close <laughs> get some cheeseburgers there i mean there's different instances like i didn't know where i wanted to hunt in that state because i've been all over the country and it's like i, I knew the, the ground and i, I want to know where the most hot sign was and i said to myself what am I going to do? So I'm just going to, I saw I covered about, I don't know how many, probably acres. I just moved fast through the whole woods and took notes of where rubs were, where scrapes, fresh deer shit, where they're maybe eating acorns, um, where guys' stands were. And it's like, man, and I learned so much in that two hours before dark that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have known where to start, you know, but I, you know, and I went through the woods and I, and I had a lot of knowledge of where the deer were. And where I would want to set up, and where the hunters were. Uh, so, yeah, just just keeps keep learning to scout. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Anytime he starts grabbing that goatee, he's got something, and he starts twirling yeah, the mustache. He, starts, yeah. Yeah. he does this right here. He's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> I've make got sure, a. Make sure you're watching a YouTuber Patreon right now, guys. <laughs> I've got a. I've got a question. Um, oh man, I was. Gonna, I had a question too, but all right, go, Mike. I've heard you talk about the bow drive. Um, the what? Yeah. I, I want to know about that. Like, I've oh, never, man. especially down yep. here in the South, I've never heard anybody talk about bow drives. That's top, that's top secret, there. I can't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, growing up, we, uh, like I said, I hunted around home, and and uh, as as I got older, the urban sprawl, you know, maybe the areas I hunted, they started building more houses and schools, industrial, this and that. So we learned that the bigger mature deer or the deer in general like weren't in the areas we used to hunt because the areas we used to hunt were shrinking and that's where um everybody would be hunting so they learned to get in little pockets and still i call them seams and pockets where they knew they could be safe and it goes into like urban hunting you know what i mean um resident whatever you want to call it um suburban suburb hunting but uh we had a lot of success putting drives on you know um, and get to the point where, like, the bigger woods, I mean, the bigger woods house the youngest deer because all the hunters were in there hunting. And they were just, even the mature does and bucks would move to the areas that, you know, behind houses and stuff. So I have, I've had a ton of success driving deer um, in those settings. And, yeah, probably in my 20s, we, we, we killed a lot of deer that way just kind of bumping them from, you know, kind of knowing where their next destination is or 
where they're going to run between houses and nothing. So yeah, we did a lot of a lot of bow drives. Uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty much we got to probably probably my mid twenties. I mean a good stretch here because that's where the deer would gravitate toward as the as their habitat shrunk. You know, and we, we were finding this is where you had to be. You know, and sometimes there were pockets that you couldn't even get into like hunt. So it's like hey, we're just going to bump them, push them here there and. We got pretty good at it, you know. We we shot a lot of deer that way. It was a big thing. We get six, eight guys together and just um, push them, you know. So yeah, that, we did a lot. Like of a that. bunch of Indians. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a video on YouTube. Uh, this was years ago, but where they did that, I don't know what state they were in, but they did a, It was a deer drive with guys that were bow hunting, and the dude. I don't think they shot any bucks, but they shot a couple of does, and the guy had a GoPro on his head. And this doe, I mean, comes in within three yards, and he's like, thunk. Now, again, this video podcast, so I hope you all can see it. But, I mean, he's just like, she's he just like runs past, she like pauses, and he just like sticks her. I mean, oh, right yeah, in the side. Yeah. And it's like, it was wild. And I'm like, huh, okay, all right. Uh-huh. I, I learned to set up right on, I, I learned to set right on a trail. And because they're just, your target's coming right at you. <laughs> um, and then you can hear them coming, you're ready, you're up and ready. So, you shot a lot of does that, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean we 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 used to film it and stuff like that. It was a good time back in the day. We had some, yeah, we did a lot of you know, it would be like maybe you go hunt in the morning and then we'd put some bow drives on. We still today, well, I think we did one last year or the year before we got a buck. It was late season. Um there's still but I, I just um I like hunting where it's more wild, you know, a lot of land. I just uh, I just wanna be like more out in the uh open, wild vast pieces of land where you know you don't hear you know during the day you're working you're in this hear cars and i just don't want to hear no i just want to be out in the out in the woods literally you know get away from all that but we had and we but we learned a lot too how deer would travel and then we got to the point where we push the same areas then they'd be on to us you know what i mean and then we knew that instead of funneling down this one finger to this next piece of woods, they're just going, they're just making a right turn and going this way because they know what's in that woods. You know what I mean? So they, they got smart for them drives after a while. It was good at first, you know, then it wasn't the typical, they're like, Oh man, we know what's waiting on the other end. So, uh, so you gotta be, you know, just keep adapting to that. But you know, I've had, a, we've had a lot of success doing that. One of my last questions, uh, John, unless you say something that just sparks another whole conversation, um, is hunting pressure. You know, I know you've talked a decent amount about hunting pressure today and how that's such a big factor. How did you learn how to use hunting pressure to your advantage? And what are your steps? In, I mean, you made, you made it sound so easy earlier. Maybe it is that easy, but, like, just finding where everybody's not going. And that's simple enough to say, but, like, when did you learn about how to use hunting pressure to your advantage? And what is your process for, like, mapping out that pressure and where to go where that big buck's going to be pushed to when the pressure is really high? I think it just boils down. I, I don't – I think it's the typical – even when talking pressure, the typical trails, the typical decent – where people can access and the sign is good. You know what I mean? Like um, where you would typically find maybe, maybe there's an Oak flat, you know, you know, there's going to be rubs it almost looks too good to be true. It probably is unless you're a mile back in the woods or, or something like that. But um, that's the one very unknown variable. I say when you're hunting private ground or you're hunting public ground, that's something you can't, you can't just read, you know, like you can read the 
sign if you had a piece of private ground where no one was bothering it you you know maybe as managed you can kind of sit back and and take everything the deer does you can take into like okay you know what i mean because there's no it's not that unknown variable is the, the, the pressures um persuading them or, or controlling them or, or however the, this is how they this is scrape their hit this is how we're doing it it's you can read the sign and, and believe in the sign but when you get to the public ground that reading sign sometimes can go out the window i mean i'll find sometimes i'll find good sign whether it's a some scrapes or rubs and sometimes i kind of get butterflies it's like man it looks too this can't be you know and then i'll just have to sometimes instead of hunt it i'll just run cameras to, and then if you get that daylight picture okay nobody's Maybe no one's in here, you know, but um, I think the biggest thing is, like I said, um, if it looks too good to true, be true, probably is if there's a lot of hunters in the area. Man, this, this spot looks good because I've hunted them spots in the past where I would sit there and sit there and it just this much nocturnal sign, you know, like the deer were going to come out at night and make that because they had to because the hunters were in there during the daytime. But, um, yeah, the good areas... But that, I'm not saying, like, I found that one spot that year where that buck was rubbing it up and scraping it up, and it was maybe a, a mile back in, and no stands, no bright eyes, and no human, you know, Snickers bar wrappers and stuff like Like, I was pretty sure that no one was in there. You know what I mean? So I was uh, ready to hunt there as soon as I found that sign. But you get closer to the roads and parking areas, you find that sign. It's, you know, it might be a good sign, but... Um, chances are it's going to be some nighttime stuff you know um and a lot of deer old yeah a lot of it's nighttime stuff but but i find that out just from running cameras in them areas and a lot of times i put them up in a tree so no one takes them but put a couple cameras out see when the deer are coming through if they're coming through like anything from like nine o'clock at night till three in the morning i just might as well just throw it just inventory you know he exists that's all it is because he's just coming through you know, get some pictures of some daytime stuff or right there before daylight, you know, okay, maybe there's no one hunting here, you know, so, um, yeah, use them cameras to find out if people are in there or not, you know what I mean, because that's the only way you're going to know, it's like, it's not private ground, you can't just focus on the sign itself and say, yes, I mean, yes, the deer's making it, but when, when is it, you know, it might be in the middle of the night, so I learned that a long time ago, it's all nocturnal, it's all nocturnal, it's, you know, but you got to get into where you got to know where they're at during the daytime because that's when you're hunting. All right, last question, Johnny. What is your last piece? What's it like the lasting piece of advice you'd like to give the listeners? Uh, just a tip or something that they can maybe try to focus on for this season, whether it's scouting or hunting related or whatever. Especially for the people that are out there that just don't have the amount of experience that you do. You know, maybe they've only been bow hunting, you know, five or ten years, but they just don't have the amount of experience that you have. You know, what kind of advice would you give them to kind of focus on, especially as they go into this season? I think the biggest thing is, like, uh, put yourself in their situation, the deer, the deer you're hunting. Would you do this? If, if, if someone, someone was hunting you, would you, you know, and you knew where they parked and where they, would you go to them areas? Just just kind of put yourself in that deep, like, I have a lot of people message me and ask me, and then I ask them, they, they answer their own questions. And like, well, is there people, or is the guy something? Or, okay, well, then don't go there, you know. But um, put yourself in that deer's position is number one thing is survival and in He's a prey, like he knows there's things out there to hunt him and kill him or, or whatever you you want to call it. But what what would you do? 
you know, if you were in their shoes and you were living and you, you know, you needed security cover and, and you could use the wind to your advantage, sometimes your sight, and you had to be somewhere during the day. And, and cause these guys, you know, and you know, more, I mean, they, their senses are heightened compared to yours and it, but you, you can rationalize and, and, and put, you know, think, you know, um, and, and actually, I guess your mind's your, your brain is more, I don't know how I want to say it. it you can do more things than, you know, think and, and, and play out situations, you know, but, um, put yourself in. In their position, if you're living on, if you're living on public land and all these guys are hunting there, you're gonna, you're, you're just gonna tell yourself like, man, I don't want to be here. But if you have to mate and breed, well, and I know nobody's here at night, um, so I, I say that's the biggest thing because a lot of guys message me and ask me questions, um, and then and then they end up and use your judgment too. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not the deer god, you know. Like I said, you know, you can answer your when I hunt with some people that are novice and I ask them, what do you think? I'm always asking other hunters, what do you think? Maybe you have an idea of where you would go, you know, or where the deer might be because of things that happened to you in your life, hunting or whatever it might be. But I think the biggest thing is where would you go to hide? I know uh, maybe a year or two we were getting ago, uh, we were getting a picture of a couple bucks. It was rifle season. They come out in this uh, little food plot. And, and, uh, it was in the back backyard of my hunting camp. I put a little food plot and I was tagged out. My buddy said, man, I was up there all day hunting for them bucks. I said, I can't believe I can't find them. I said, Greg, I said, why don't you walk in them woods? And I mean, that woods goes for miles. I said, why don't you walk up there and hide and have me come find you? Think I'm going to find you? He said, no. I said, well, there you go. They're professional hiders. They know how to hide and, and just put yourself in their shoes and, Think what would you do if you were being hunted? I think that's the biggest thing. Where would you go and hide if you knew, you know, you knew guys were coming in here and hunting, parking here? And like I said, I go back to the thing like, would you want to be 500 yards back in the woods, or would you want to be 100 yards from the road from the daytime to hear what's what's going on, what's going on out here on the road? Then you might sneak back in the woods, but um, and you then use that to your advantage. What are they, 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 like I said, know what's going on scout more hunt less be like that animal he knows everything that's going on so um yeah i'd say just put yourself in his shoes and how he's surviving to that ripe old age whatever five six because he's doing something and he's uh you know getting by these hunters and always ask those questions always be asking yeah. questions absolutely yeah. Well, Johnny, can't appreciate you enough for coming on this week's episode of the Southern Outdoors and Podcast. Appreciate everybody listening as well. And anybody watching as well, as well with the video, uh, Michael is working <laughs> on uh, getting these videos out as quickly as possible. So I'm not, I'm not going to say like I did last week, uh, as in this is going to be dropping. The video will be dropping the same time the audio comes out, but it will come out the same week. Um, so, Michael. Yeah, we'll Jacob. Uh, <laughs> Jacob's not the one editing, but he's the one telling everybody when it's going to be done. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm like, got to crack it, man. Got to crack it. But hey, uh, Johnny, thank you again for coming on. Appreciate everybody again that's listening and watching. Uh, please subscribe to what we got going on. Subscribe to the podcast. Stay tuned. We got a lot of other great episodes coming out uh, later on. And also make sure you tune in on Wednesday. The outro for this episode will come out where me, uh, Mike, and Andrew break down what Johnny's been talking about on this episode, along with their own thoughts about everything else. So appreciate y'all watching, appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we'll see you back here on Wednesday.
Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.